What's up, Drop Podcast listeners? You can check out new episodes of the Drop Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find all of our content on YouTube at the Drop Golf Podcast and on our socials. Those are Instagram and Twitter at the Drop underscore pod. No matter how you consume us, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Follow and listen along. This episode is presented by All County Exteriors. All County Exteriors is a third-generation, premier exterior home remodeling company celebrating over 40 years in business. In a remodeling world where the average remodeling company only survives in business for only five years, All County Exteriors has stood the test of time, providing their customers with top-quality roofing, siding, windows, and doors. They service homeowners and builders with anything from small repairs to large additions. Old County Exteriors is not just limited to construction. They have a deep passion for giving back to their community and are charitable supporters of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the American Cancer Society, Roots for Troops, and Parents of Autistic Children. If you have planned to do any exterior remodeling, call the experts at Old County Exteriors for a free, no-obligation estimate for your project. Just call 732-370-2780. Or email them at info at allcountyonline.com. That's 732-370-2780 for All County Exteriors for all your remodeling needs. This is the Drop Podcast where we talk golfing in the Garden State. I'm Mike Poro and this is Ryan Coolot. Hello, hello, hello. What is up, everyone? Hope we had a great week. Mike and I got a big episode. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. But before we get into that, make sure you stick around. Today's guest is Jason Bataille. Uh, Jason is a former D1 golfer, former head coach at Rutgers University. Uh, But more recently and and more importantly, Jason had a huge, huge golfing summer. Uh, He qualified for the USGA Mid-Am match play at Sleepy Hollow. Uh, Made it to the round of 16, which is a huge accomplishment to get to the Sweet 16 there. Just for a little uh, little comparison, uh, on our show we had Brad Tilly and Troy Venucci on. Both Brad and Troy qualified for the match play as well. But Jason was our lone standing member in the, from New Jersey in the round of 16 before he got knocked out. He's got some great insights, some great stories, so make sure you stick around for this interview. All right, Mike. We both had some interesting weeks. <laughs> I don't know where you want to start, but... Let's let's start let's start this way. Last week, you got to play Galloway National. Talked about it on the episode. I said that I really want to play Galloway National. It's been a place I want to get to. It should be. Um, I don't want to say accessible for for me, but I do have a few different directions in which I can kind of make that happen. Uh, but I, I did say, I was like, it's, it's time. I, I got to get down there. I, I have to. I know I wanted to. And I, I just need to make it happen. Well, I went down thinking I was playing Seaview. And Jeff Carswell, the head pro at Seaview, surprised me with a round at Galloway as I got down there. So huge shout out to Jeff for making that happen. Um, again, I... I I thought was just going to going to play around at the bay course with him, and and you gave me a hard time about how much, you know, I never play well at the bay course or whatever. And it was, uh, I I still would like to play the bay course, but 
it was such a cool surprise for Jeff to to surprise me with that. So, um, so Jeff, thank you. But long and short, I got to play Galloway, Mike, week after you did. I can't, I can't imagine that your reaction is any different than the one I had while playing that place. But let's hear what you thought about it because I think if you say one negative thing about the place, I might hang up you know, this, this Zoom right now and let you go solo for the entire episode. I, I really don't have a negative thing to say, Mike. Uh, I, uh, you can try to find something, but um, uh, <laughs> this isn't a negative thing. Their range was terrific, but when you compared it to Matita Conks, I thought it would be bigger, like longer. And now at first showcase, it's not, but there's three sides to it. So there's that as well. So even then, that's not like a negative thing. No, it was it was an awesome experience. The place was beautiful. Those snack stations were incredible. Uh, what, a, what a great... I, I, I thought that was great. I loved that. I thought that was a, a, a cool little thing that they have. They're not going to have a cart girl running around. They're not going to have, uh, you know, I I don't, I don't even know, I guess after nine, can you get to the, I don't know what the bar situation is there or anything like that. So I don't know if you can get to get there, but like, it was, it was really an awesome, uh, experience and, and man, that course was beautiful. And I'll, I'll say this, you say this all the time, you can't birdie them all if you don't birdie one. So I went out there and I birdied hole one. That's a great birdie. <laughs> Did you play the red tees? No. Uh, a, screw you. B, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I, in fact, I was so amped up that just from being there, from from hitting some balls, the way that I got my, the way that Jeff surprised me, and that I, I was was literally shaking on the first tee. So to make contact, I was happy with, made really good contact, hit it to the left side of the of the dog leg, like almost through the fairway, and then I had just like a like an attack wedge that I I hit it really well and put it to like four feet and made the putt. Um, Wow, so it's a great yeah, bird. I mean, uh, honestly, shocking on a lot of ends. A, I usually miss those putts. B, to put it that close was was rather impressive as well. But yeah, it was a great birdie, uh, only to be surprised by my best iced tea impression. I messed around and went and went triple doubles, double double double. After the birdie. After the birdie, I went double double double. <laughs> oh my god. Talk about the post birdie fuck up. I, I mean, it was it was it was bad. It did settle down after that, but that was you know to go two four six over, uh, you know to be five over after four holes, um, is probably something I would have bought, but not that's, that way. What's that? Not that way. But not that way. Correct. Yeah, that's that's not that's not how I how I envisioned it. But I I settled in a little bit, and and you know I mean honestly I feel like I can go play my golf game. Like I feel like I'm in a spot where like I I just can't get out of the mid 80s for any reason whatsoever. Not that I'm trying to get out of the mid 80s and go to the high 80s, but like I can't seem to put it enough together to to 
get to the low 80s. I just do not enough. But I've, you know, play, the, rest of the, the rest of the day was just my kind of golf, you know, fairway or just off, miss the green, chip on, two putt with a couple, hit the green, take your par kind of thing. It was a, it was a rather, um, it was a rather, rather good day, at, you know, after that point. But uh, yeah, to go double, double, double was, was really not what I had envisioned there. <laughs> I think when you think about your golf game, it's not that you are, or you can't go sub 85 consistently. But like you just explained right there, in order for you to go sub 85, like you need to eliminate the big numbers and you can't make so many doubles if you plan on going sub 85. It's just that simple. And that's, and, and here's the other thing I said all the time, like I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough putter and I'm not like, I don't throw darts at pins unlike the first hole there to, to birdie a lot of holes. I'm just not like my game. My golf game is not a very birdie friendly. We joked about it in previous shows that I don't know. Um, when we were sitting with Jack, I said, like, I don't know if I have 18 birdies in my whole life. He made 18 birdies in his, you know, in his round at, at uh, the Delaware Am. So I don't, I don't, my game is just not, is just not a very birdieable. Like, I can't make up shots, I don't feel like. I'm not that, it's not the way my game is. But I can't give up shots. I gotta get, I, I can't have the doubles. Pars are, 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 great bogeys are okay i got to avoid the doubles and and for me again if i double i have to birdie and i just don't birdie so um you know i don't hit it long enough i don't hit it close enough i don't putt it well enough i don't do anything well enough to be like okay i can go about and birdie whereas like your game you can go birdie holes like you can put it close enough uh to where you can make some putts like you you roll the you you get birdies significantly more often now you're a better golfer so that makes more sense but that that's what i mean i I don't my game's not that way so yeah i got to avoid the high numbers and i and that's the thing that in my last couple rounds i've been playing low 80s golf and then something will happen on one or two holes where i'll go double or triple and it's like well that that 81 becomes 84 now because i tripled it so so you're right you're 100% right. That's what I got to do. And and I just, you know what it requires? Practice. A mental coach. A mental coach. <laughs> Are you for hire? No. You, no. I said a mental coach, not a mental case. I said a mental coach. Big difference. But listen, like I said to you, I mean, Galloway's a South Jersey gem. Um, Absolutely. You, you get the opportunity. You get... You get the opportunity to play. It's hard to just say no to a spot like that. Honestly, it's it's a if you're from anywhere in New Jersey, it's a must play spot. It, it's come from wherever. If you're invited there, go play Galloway National. It was really really tremendous. And and the other thing that I thought, Mike, we didn't play it from the tips. The tips on some holes were were not that big of a difference. Maybe just because of where they put the blue tees that day, but on others it was a significant difference. And like I can see that course being an entirely different golf course from the tips, which I think it was like seventy-one from the tips, and we played it at like sixty-eight, sixty-nine. So it was, it was, 
again, longer on, on some holes than others. So, uh, but yeah, an absolute gem. Like you said, uh, everything you said last week was true. Not that I thought you were lying, but it was nice to experience it as well. The, the clubhouse is, is a beautiful looking clubhouse. I don't know if it fits in like that South Jersey, um, style, but like the, the white and black marble is beautiful and it's, and I was on 18 and there was nobody out there. But as I hit my drive, I was just short of that bunker that's straight away. So when you were talking last week about how guys were, guys were at the, like sitting outside betting at whether you were, would hit the, the green, I was looking around like, is anybody sitting here? Who's talking about me? And, and luckily no one was out there. <laughs> but that's a that's an intimidating uh intimidating closing hole there with if you have a lot of people there i can imagine their like their member guests get probably gets pretty rowdy there um member member like i'm sure that there's a bunch of events there that happen that are that that specific part of the hole you got a lot of people watching it can it can really ratchet up the pressure there yeah i mean i it it's just so good. It's so pure. Um, I'm glad that you got to experience it, and you know, it's 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 so good. It's so I was good. I was getting ready. It was it was funny. We were talking off camera. I was like, I got to get there. I got to call in some favors, like you said. Uh, I tried getting there last year, and it ended up not working out. <clears throat> and like you hate calling in favors in like the busy season, right? So. You know, you, you want to do it at this time of year. And, and I was like, I just, I just got to do that. And I knew I was playing golf down at Seaview. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Jeff and see if he, can, if he can make it happen. And he surprised me with making it happen. So, again, thank you, Jeff. appreciate that. George Wall Ford in Red Bank, New Jersey is family-owned and operated, proudly serving New Jersey residents with superior customer service since 1960. George Wall Ford is a 23-time President's Award-winning store, the most prestigious customer satisfaction award a Ford dealer can receive. This golfing family knows what's best from the rest, so make sure you stop in this showroom today to see their surplus of different cars, SUVs, trucks, and more, or visit them at www georgewall.com there isn't a better place to shop just call 732-704-1932 and ask for jeremy wall george wall ford and red bank for all your car buying needs and then let's let's stay on the golf course here we both got to play river winds so where do we want to go with this we both played it separately. We've both played it within the last week. So uh, Mike and I both do a golf podcast about golf in New Jersey, but um, <laughs> very rarely do we get to play with each other at these places. But Mike, Mike was able to get out um, and play Riverwinds. It's, it's a solid hour and 45 from where I, I live. Um, but I was taking a flight out of Philly, at night, so I was like, "Hey, let me go play River Winds in the afternoon and kind of, kind of get a twofer." Um, Mike, I, I, since I'm rolling, I'll start with it. I, I loved River Winds; absolutely loved it. I, 
it was more linksy than I thought it would be, which I, you know, I love. Um, there was not a lot of wind that day uh, that I played it, so it wasn't it wasn't as difficult as some of the people there were talking about that it can be with the wind coming off the Delaware River. But the thing that impressed me the most was the staff there. They were over the top, helpful, friendly, um, supportive. Like it, it was, it was awesome. It really was. They had, so they had an outing that day and public play started like two hours before I got there and I was going off as a single and they were like, Hey, why don't you, why don't you go off on the back and you play the back by the time you come around, nobody will be going off on the front. So it'll be, it'll be, you know, timed up perfectly. It was amazing that they that they thought of that that they did that for me. So I ended up starting on hole thirteen because they had gotten a little further. Like those first groups got a little further than, um, than they had thought. But like, I was playing it with. I was going to jump in front of these two guys, and it ended up just hey, you know what? Let's play together. They were playing um, this guy Ryan and Shane. They got they were playing a. Uh, a scramble with themselves because um, one of them's a member there, so I guess they play it quite a bit. So if you're just going to jump out and play nine, you can do things like that. Play a scramble once in a while. So so I was playing with myself. They were playing as a scramble. So it was it was a quick moving uh, situation there, and just two really nice guys. I mean, uh, younger guys. I know they're college athletes. They're they're kind of young business people. They're in sales and. Again, really nice guys that, that we got paired up with, and they know the course, so they're, you know, like, hey, like on, um, on hole 16, like, you don't have to hit driver, but you don't know how much run out you have until the bunker is right in front there, so he was like, no, you don't need to take driver, so, you know, took something less, was short of the bunkers, put it on, two putt, there's my par, but without them, I probably hit driver, I probably go into the greenside bunker, and and then who knows from there? So um, so two really really nice guys. I want to shout out them. Thank you guys for for a, a very pleasurable uh, you know couple of holes there. And uh, and then I, I I that seventeenth hole, Mike, was really really cool. A little island green there. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to give anything away about how you did or about how I did because I know we both recorded that. Um, that hole, and we'll put those videos out. But a, a really, a really cool uh, hole, beautiful view. You got Philadelphia behind you, the river uh, kind of running, and, and planes are flying as the airport's right across the way. A really interesting um, area there. And, and it was, again, just a great experience. I then made it to, I made the turn. You talk about not birdieing holes. Uh, I birdied one again. <laughs> so my last two rounds, I've birdied hole one, a back-to-back, <laughs> even though it wasn't my first hole. But it's a par five. I, I laid up and had a chip on that, was, that I put to within a foot. So it was a nice little tap-in four for, on, a, on a par five. And then I just cooked on the front. I got, like, birdied that hole, and then I went par, 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 par 
uh, on the front. So I, I really rolled on the front there. So then I caught up to these two other guys, and one of them was a pro. One of them played pro golf in Europe. So it was interesting to caught up with them on eight, I believe. So played eight and nine, seven, eight and nine with them. Old buddies, they were in town, so they only played nine. It was, it was really cool. It's, um, Sasha LaBelle was his name. Plays over in, in one of the, like the Corn Ferry Tour, but for Europe kind of thing. Really, really nice guy. Um, and, I, and I'm sorry that I forget his buddy's name, but it was super Irish, and it's not Seamus. But, um, <laughs> but it's... Rory McElroy? Uh, wasn't Rory McElroy either. But, uh, but two really nice guys. I, I liked the match they had going on, some good banter. It was, it was really nice. Again, overall, what I'm trying to say is just a super friendly experience. Not just the staff there, but the people there that I was able to run into. It was, it was an awesome, awesome day. I can't recommend this place enough. Uh, it's, I would go play there again. I don't know... I don't know if it's a two-hour course. You know, we've talked about how long and far you would drive to it. I wouldn't make it an everyday thing for me, but I would certainly play there from where I live, that hour 45. I would go back once a summer. For sure, I would say that I could put that in my rotation of like, it's not an all-the-time place, but it's, a, it's, a, it's good enough where it's like, hey, get there because it's a really good course. Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, I think you kind of nailed it on the head with, with the description of Riverwinds. I, you know, I didn't have the same, you know, I didn't really talk to many people when I was there. I'm not really a talker as it is. I just like to tee it high and let it fly. But I will say this about Ron Jaworski's golf courses. I think they're extremely underrated. And I know people think like Ron Jaworski, Philadelphia Eagle quarterback, has no really, you know, plays golf, but what does he know? I can't lie. The courses here in New Jersey that Ron Jaworski owns and operates and his company does and handles, like, dude, they are sneaky good. They really, you said know. sneaky good in our text, and that's exactly what it is. They really are. I mean, this this course, like you said, sneaky, sneaky good. And it, he might play golf, but he's employed the people to run golf courses correctly because they really are. They, they're really good. Yeah, I mean, listen, we can go on a little tangent here. I mean, Riverwinds, we, I, when I played it, my buddies have, have said it. I think even Lewis Kelly in one of our earlier episodes, even Troy Venucci way back when said, like, that 17th hole is, is marvelous. And finally getting out there to play it, I was like, holy hell, this is sneaky good. But then I started to think on my drive home from that place is like, you got, obviously, I, I was super impressed with Riverwinds. But then I was like, all right, Blue Heron Pines, another Ron Jaworski, great golf course. Then you got Valley Brook, another Ron Jaworski golf course, sneaky good. You got Harbor Pines, another sneaky good golf course. Like, I felt like we just started going on a tangent. I'm like, holy hell, maybe like Ron Jaworski just kind of knows how to hire the right people to manage and operate his facilities because all those golf courses are so damn good and they're challenging. And listen, I I can't echo it enough. Like, I thought specifically at Riverwinds, like, 15, 16, 17 were the three holes to me along the Delaware River that were just, like, unreal. You got planes taking off. You got the river right there. You got the barges right there in the water. Like, those three holes to me were just, like, wow. There are three phenomenal finishing holes in terms of, like, as you're wrapping up your round, like, 
you're trying to play good golf, but now you still get the aesthetic side that they're very, you know, photo friendly. And listen, I, I like you, I was super, super impressed with that place. I would definitely go back to that place for me. It was a little over an hour going straight west from, from Long Beach Island. Like, listen, Ron Jaworski does it right. If Ron Jaworski is listening to this podcast, we'd love to get him on the podcast so, you know, we could talk a little bit more to him about how he does things because 100%. I think a lot of people could take notes about how his company handles it because just like you, I have nothing, nothing but great, great things to say about Riverwinds out there in Camden. So, again, you get the opportunity to go play Riverwinds. Listen, it's $100 to play is what it chart cost me on to play. I'm not really sure in terms of the price for you, but, again – I frankly don't care what the price is. Go play. Yeah, I played in the afternoon. It was just under $100. I think it was like 85 or something. But again, this is another thing I like, Mike. It's with a cart. You're getting a cart there. And I think that that helps with pace of play. I think that helps with um, like the, the kind of time you're going to have. It, it, it was awesome. It really was. I don't have a bad thing to say about it either. It was really, really good let's kind of get back to the golfing side of things. Lexi Thompson. I mean, I, I think I'd be you know, remiss if I didn't bring up what she did this weekend out at the Shriners. I mean, I think everybody, like a lot of people, thought this was like, you know, a reach. How are we inviting a woman who's not really Nelly Corda or the top-ranked woman's player out there, and we're bringing Lexi Thompson in, and, and why Lexi? She hasn't been playing the best. To Lexi's credit, holy hell, did she damn near make the cut. I mean, I don't know if you saw any of her numbers, any of her stats, any of her driving distance, but Lexi was golfing all weekend. Now, I know she missed the cut by three. I get it. People are going to be like, oh, well, you know, so on and so forth. She didn't make the cut. She finished at even par after two rounds. But if we could go through a list of, of dudes she beat on the PGA Tour... And she carded a 69 in her second round. So Lexi was golfing this week. Um, I was beyond impressed, even though, again, she doesn't have the greatest golf swing, the most aesthetically pleasing golf swing. But the way she drove the ball, I was beyond impressed. It was more than just a, a, you know, a, I think an audience grab for Shriners in terms of their sponsors invites, because she golfed. It wasn't like she shot plus 20 for the weekend. She was even par through two rounds. The cut was minus three. She played extremely, extremely well. She's only the second woman to finish with a round in the 60s on the PGA Tour. And I don't know if you know who the first one was, but she was a past guest. <laughs> she was a past guest on the Drop Podcast. Her name's Michelle Wee West. Um, she so played glistening. in six. Michelle Wee played in six PGA Tour events. Did you know that? Um. I knew she played in a lot. I didn't know how many she played in, but I knew she played in a lot. I saw something when they were when I was looking at the stuff for Lexi that it was six PGA Tour events Michelle Wee played in. I mean, I know she's just the seventh woman to compete in a PGA Tour event, but listen, I think a lot of people kind of wrote this off as some, you know, money grab, like, oh, here we go. This is just kind of the thing. But listen, she performed, she golfed, she played extremely well. Her putter was hot all, you know, Thursday and Friday. A couple, you know, hiccups down the stretch in terms of like, 
making a couple bogeys to not get in. But I think that 18th hole of hers on Friday, people thought she had a legit chance if she had made the putt to get to 100 to make the cut. Um, yeah, to get to 100, she would be in. But the cut ended up being 300 anyway. So regardless, had she eagled or birdied that last par 5 she was playing, it wasn't getting her in. But I do want to make sure that we, you know, give her a little shout-out because, you know, I think what she did this week, you know, truly shows that, like, those women on the LPGA Tour can flat-out golf their golf ball as well. And, you know, for people to be, you know, looking at certain people and saying, oh, they can't play or can't do this, like, I think you're a little mistaken there. Yeah, no doubt. I, I do think that that's what it shined a light on, for sure. Sometimes we look at the LPGA as, as a group of women that, like, they kind of bunt it around and they stay short and straight and, and it's just, it's kind of good women's golf. But we don't actually, because they're not tipping out something at 76 yards, that's not what they're playing, that they're not able to get around that. And, and maybe it is more the top ones, but Lexi certainly was able to do more than just get around the course. And yeah, super impressed. Super yeah. impressed with her all week. I, I was like a lot of people, I think on Friday, I was kind of glued to my you know my phone, watching her on Twitter. And, you know, I don't have ESPN Plus, so I wasn't watching it there. But eventually got over to the golf channel, so I was, I was sneaking a peek on there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, you could clearly see that, you know, she uh, listen. I think the one thing I was blown away with is how far she drove the golf ball, driving a par four on the PGA Tour. Um, is you know, is impressive yeah, regardless. Super, yep. Yes, yeah, super super. You know, nice job by Lexi, and don't think Lexi's going to listen to this, but um, she Yet. did flirt with you know PGA Tour history. Yes. So. You don't think Lexi is going to listen to this yet? Okay, there's some things I can be a realist about, and I know. <laughs> Lexi is not listening to that. But nonetheless, great job. So there is one thing now as as we kind of wrap up here, Rye, before you toss it to Jason Bataille in the interview. I, I know we always say this at the very top, and sometimes you know it gets fast forward through and, and people jump straight to the episode, so they miss some things. But I do want to shout this out. Is I know a lot of people follow. I know a lot of people are listening. I can't emphasize this enough that if you have the opportunity and are willing to, we would love for you to go to Spotify, to Apple Podcasts, to click that follow button. And then if you could, toss us a 5.0 rating. I don't think the audience truly understands how much that helps us in terms of the search engines, the algorithms, all those little things that I think a lot of people take for granted. Um, But it helps us immensely. So if you guys can... We would love for you to click that follow button and toss us that rating. Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. So if you do or you have, thank you. If you can, we appreciate that as well. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes that goes, you know, overlooked. Um, you know, if, if you're a listener and you just haven't done it, it it's uh, if you like what you're listening to, please go ahead and follow Mike's instructions for that because it's it's super helpful on our end. Um, maybe even more than you guys know. It takes you a fraction of a second to do, and it's it's rather important to us. But that wraps up Mike and I for today. We're going to send you to the interview we did with Jason Bataille. Uh, as I said at the top, Jason is absolute stud, had a fantastic summer, making it to the Sweet 16 of the USGA Mid-Am. That was held at Sleepy Hollow in New York, so kind of in our in our backyard here. Uh, he's got some great stories and insight and, and again, just a, a, 
Again, another great sit down that we had with a, with a fantastic golfer here in New Jersey. So I hope you liked the interview. Enjoy. So today's guest is what I like to call a jack of all trades. You know, I think when you think to, you know, his background, he was a division one golfer at Rutgers University, was the head golf coach at Rutgers University, has, has moved on into the financial world. But what remains to stay consistent is his golf game. And today's guest is Jason Bataille. And Jay, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I can't wait to get into your background, your summer, um, and specifically the U.S. Mid-Am. So thanks again for, for coming on today's show. No, it's my pleasure. Been a big fan of you guys, and I appreciate what you're doing for the Garden State. And, you know, it's a small golf community. It seems to always feel smaller and smaller um, here in New Jersey. So I think this is this is a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So I guess to start things off, um, why don't you give us a little bit of a background about you? Growing up, playing golf, going Division One then becoming the Rutgers golf coach to kind of like where you're, where you're at now and where your game is at and kind of how things have evolved over the years. Okay. Um, so growing up from South Plainfield, um, we didn't belong to a country club, um, but I was very close to Plainfield Country Club. So I grew up playing at the nine hole par 33 course right next to Plainfield, the West Nine. Um, some call it the infamous West Nine. And I think... <laughs> that seems to shape a lot of my game for the rest of my life, you know, needing to have a good short game and it didn't really matter where you hit it. So um, I think I learned a lot while I was there. Um, you know, I was never in any summer camps. Uh, my parents would drop me off at eight o'clock in the morning and then pick me up at five o'clock at night. And I think it cost them $6 a day. Uh, <laughs> around. wish it was like that now yeah exactly um i'd spend my summers like that right now in a second uh, but we had a bunch of good players around um that were there that i would compete with um and then on the peripheral we had a guy by the name of jeff thomas who played out of the west nine as well so um former u.s mid-amateur champion um so we had enough people there that you know got me very interested in being competitive um, from there, um, got an opportunity to play at Rutgers and, uh, spent five years, red shirt of my first year. Um, I had a lone college win. Uh, we got to play in the NCAAs, um, something that hasn't, they haven't done since. So it's quite an accomplishment for, you know, myself and my teammates there. And, um, I don't know, Rutgers just always held a very, you know, special place in my heart, um, Growing up in Jersey, being a Rutgers guy, getting to represent them, um, you know, competing on a national level with them. And then it kind of followed through when I got out of college, you know, even though I became an assistant pro and I worked at Metuchen Country Club and I ended up my last year at Trump National in Bedminster. Um, what I, I always knew I didn't want to be a golf professional. I tried to be a professional golfer. And when I knew that wasn't going to be a reality, I never had any interest in staying in the golf business, but um, I still love being around the game and 
with Rutgers being, you know, another love of mine, I think that seemed to make sense that I see what kind of opportunity was there. And um, the head coach at the time, Moore Waters, gave me an opportunity to run the men's team. And it was awesome. It was probably the two best years of my working adult life. And if it paid a little more than peanuts, I might've done it for the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think with the idea of having, you know, a wife and kids and having expensive habits like golf, um, you know, it, it, they didn't really match up at the time. So that's when I kind of had to look out elsewhere. And um, I think I made the right choice with insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine so. Uh, Jason, was there any other um, suitors, for lack of a better word, uh, going into college? Or was Rutgers really the the only or just the you got it and that's where you wanted to go um yeah i had an opportunity at florida state it didn't wow. any money um i had an opportunity at old dominion um i actually got a call from jim mcgovern the because i was a jersey guy uh, and he was a old dominion guy the coach had jim call me so that was a kind of a, a special moment he was still on at that time um and um where was the other one um oh unc wilmington unc wilmington but neither one of those quite in my mind held the academic standards of what i was hoping for um i don't know if i ever thought i was going to make the pga tour but i i knew i wanted to use golf um in the business world and i wanted to make sure that i i kept a, a good enough balance between the two yeah and, and i'm sure being a jersey guy had that pull for you there too so I tell the kids all the time, we try to help some of the kids that come out of Rutgers now as part of the Alumni Association and the value of having the network of your college, post-college, so close to you um, for your business needs and just all that it affords you. It, it's kind of hard to explain to a kid going into college what, what value that'll have for the next 30 years of your life. There's a, there's a lot of that for sure. <laughs> really, yeah. There's a lot of things that freshmen in college do not understand going into college that once you get out, you're like, oh, that's what they were trying to say. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to be a perfect student. I, I, I went to some of the classes. I, I spent a lot of time on the golf course. But. So, Jay, let's talk a little bit about, you know, before we get into, you know, your summer, which I think you know, I always was referring to you as like the silent assassin all, all summer in terms of what you were doing at the, the U.S. Mid-End. But before I get into that, you know, I know you and I had touched base a while back about Raritan Valley and, and some of the work that, you know, Jack Skirkanich was doing in terms of renovating the golf club, or I should say the golf course. You know, how is that project coming along and, and what, is, what is it about Raritan Valley that draws you to that spot? I mean, the first thing that draws me to it is proximity to my house. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, I mean, any, anytime, just like, you know, the West Nine had when I was in South Plainfield, I think when it's a place that's close that you pass by all the time, um, you know, I've been here in Bridgewater for 11 years and I've only been there for the last three or four. So um, I think that part of it makes it a little bit extra special. The fact that my wife and kids love spending time there you know, makes me want to help any way I possibly can to make it the best club it could possibly be. I think I have a unique perspective getting to play so many different golf courses that are on so many different le levels, you know, not just around the state, but around the country. 
So uh, my hope was that I could use my relationships and maybe the people that I know and some of the perspective that I have to help them however I could. Um, they've, I've been fortunate. They've been open to some of the help. And, um, you know, that's how we kind of led down the path to finding an architect. Um, I didn't, I don't know if I completely expected to be a friend and someone that, you know, is a Jersey guy, but I think, you know, that just leans into everything that I've believed in is trying to keep it Jersey, right? So having a guy that played Jersey golf and understands that too, but has a little bit of an architecture background too, um, it seemed to make uh, a pretty good marriage. Um, and he did, he put a great plan together for us. We haven't started to execute on it yet. Uh, we've got construction fences up around our club and we're doing some renovations and redoing our pool and putting a pool bar in and things like that. But um I would say within the next few months, hopefully we'll start to see some other some other work to be done too. Yeah, those are always exciting things when when you can kind of project ahead to see all the changes. Is there like a a time frame on all this? Is he like maybe possibly trying to get the front nine done and then the back nine? Or no, no. I, I think when you're when you're a club in Jersey and you know what you're what I would call a middle tier club, you know. I just read the story about Essex County and how they're, you know, Gil Hans is going to do the entire golf course and all like that. Cool. Like, that, yeah. that, that, that's not the world that we live in. I think we want to make sure that we have a philosophy that we want to go by and we can start picking off, off, um, you know, off small projects. I think a lot of times when you have certain types of machinery out there, you got to pick off the machine, the projects that that piece of machinery, regardless of where in the golf course it is, you know, I think our budget might be slightly different than Essex County's. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit, maybe. Yeah. I called Gil, but he 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 hasn't returned my phone call yet, so we'll see. <laughs> we, he we, probably we've gone down that road. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> but you know that, and it kind of leads me into like this summer, and you know, obviously, me being you know a golf nerd, and I always say this to, to Ryan, and we joke around to a lot of the guests, is like. Like, I look at you guys as, like, big-time golfers, even though when we get you guys on and I say that, you guys kind of roll your eyes at me like I'm just an average Joe. But, you know, when we watch and we're following along and we see how well you guys are playing, you know, this summer was really an unreal summer in terms of, like, watching you go from that playoff into a unreal run throughout the U.S., you know, mid-end, like, what was that playoff like specifically? You know, when you're talking like a 16 for 14, that's a ton of dudes looking, you know, to get in. And you'd like to think your chances are good. Um, but what was that like? Well, I mean, I I didn't even think I was going to get in, into the playoff, to be perfectly honest. I, You know, we got the, the second round was cut short. And I had to go sleep and then come back for the next 10 holes. And I ended up starting bogey par, par double. And I was three shots off the cut line with six holes to play or seven holes to play. So like I wrote myself off at that point. I, I looked at my caddy and I was like, you know, it's a shame. You know, I guess we got nothing to lose now. Might as well just go balls to the wall. And, you know, and then I went, you know, I part the next hole and I made a birdie. He's like, all right, come on, let's go. You know, he's being a buddy of mine and he's, being cheerful for me and supportive, but like, I don't think either one of us really thought I was going to, you know, do anything crazy. And I went on Eagled the next hole 
and I don't make eagles. I'm not a long ball hitter. Like it's not, that's not part of my MO in any way, shape or form. You know, I'm not a Chris Goddard that hits the ball 330. <laughs> I'm a pea shooter. And, uh, <clears throat> how did you eagle it? Um, I hit driver four iron. So I hit, I, I'm in the fairway and then my playing partner's behind me by four feet and he hits his shot and then he drops his club. And when he drops his club, it hit my ball. So when that happens, I have to replace it, but I'm able to clean it when I replace it. So I had to wipe the mud off my ball. I got to wipe the mud off my ball and then replace it. And then I hit my shot onto the green and the other guy that I'm playing with hits it like a foot behind me. And so now I have the perfect line and I oh, make it wow, 10 wow. So we got done and the guys that I'm playing with, they looked at each other and they were like, all right, team, great eagle. Like yeah. we, 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 <laughs> one guy was in and the one guy was out. So like I was the focal point of like what was going on at that time. So, you know, and then I made three great pars on the next hole on three very tough holes, seven, eight, and nine at sleepy are really hard holes. So, um, just to get in to the playoff was something that we didn't expect. And then getting into the playoff, you know, now it's 16 for 14. You think, Oh, wow, that, that, that that's really easy. My thought was, wow, if I'm one of these two guys that don't make it, everybody's going <laughs> to Who doesn't make a 14, a 16 for 14 playoff? So the playoffs on 15, it's sleepy. It's the par five with the big punch bowl green. And there's only one thing you can't do in that hole is you can't go left. You just can't go on the left rough. If you go on the left rough, you can't get to the green. Everybody gets to the green in two on that hole. So I hit it in the left rough. And <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> fitting. That's fitting. You know, because there are so many people in the playoffs, there was four groups. First three played ahead of me. I was in the last group. So they're all done. Those first three groups are done with the hole, and they're waiting on the side. And, you know, the other three guys in my group all go for the green and hit it up towards the green. I don't even have that option. Like, I'm deep in the rough, 210 out, and, like, I can't run it up. I have to lay up. So I lay up to 80, 88 yards or something like that. And we go over my ball and I can't see the flat because it's down the punch bowl. All I can see is this like iconic sleepy pole that's behind the green by exactly 20 yards. So we go up there, we kind of mark it off and we figure it's a full lob wedge. And, and I, I hit the shot from the fairway and now I can't see anything. I have no idea if it's going to be close or not close, but over on the left, everybody that's watching the hole. So the, three groups prior, as well as all their family and supporters and everybody are over there. So there's like 75 people on the left watching me, the last one to go on this hole. And I can't see anything. The ball's flying towards the hole. I'm assuming it's landing and I'm just watching the, the people. And all of a sudden they like go crazy and they start like cheering and it ends up being like two feet away from the hole. So we get up there, we're ready to go. Everyone's starting to putt out and everything and they blow the siren. So now I've got to go. You've got to be kidding me. Now I got to go <laughs> in to the, you know, it's, you know, they said there's lightning in the distance and we could hear it. We, we could hear the thunder and everything. So we, we had to go into the tent uh, back at the clubhouse and I had to wait two and a half hours to hit a two foot putt. <laughs> oh my oh God. God. <laughs> so, again, just like the 16 for 14, I'm like, guys, like, yeah, this is only a two foot putt, but if I miss this, now it's not like I can tell anybody it was three feet or four feet. Like everybody knows back home, my friends, every text chain I've ever been on in my life. Everyone knows I've got a two foot putt. 
So before we go out, I go to the putting green. I take my putter out and I just start practicing left to right, you know, two and a half footers, two, two foot putt. And I missed the third one. And I was like, oh shit. Like, that's not what I wanted to see happen. Like I, I thought this was possible. So well, it worked out. We got, got out there. I hit it. I try not to think about it, you know, I made it in the, in the hole and, and, you know, took some great pictures with the scenic, you know, 16th hole behind it with, you know, my family and my caddy and everybody. So it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful That had to hole. be one of the, that had to be one of the most nerve wracking two foot putts that you've ever had in your life. The fact that you can't even like most of the times at home, I'm sure people just hit that back to you. Like, I just take that, Jay, no big deal. And now you got this putt that you're sitting there like, dude, I'm really waiting here two and a half hours to tap this thing in. I've I've thought about two-footers before, but I've never had to think about two-footers before. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had a putt with more pressure in my entire life. I I think I think of. I've only made match play one other time in a USGA championship, and it was 20 years ago in the U.S. uh, public links. Um, and then I lost to Matt Every in the first round. So getting back to match play, this is my sixth USGA championship. Like getting back into match play was my goal from the very beginning. Like that's the only thing I wanted. At Sleepy's one of my favorite golf courses, maybe in my top three up there with, you know, Pine Valley and I don't know, a couple others. But like that, it's just it holds such a special place in my heart that I like getting to match play was like my goal. Yeah, and then obviously the run that you go on, you know, like I I think for like the from an audience perspective, like they kind of really don't know the guys you're beating. They'll, you know, if I said the name like Todd White, like not many people would really understand like he was the 2023 US senior amateur champion. Like he's not just some run of the mill, just some dude from South Carolina that nobody knows. Like the dude can play. So like the guys that you went through, you know, were were like very very good golfers too and i think maybe from a national perspective you may have a clear understanding of who they are but like what was it like making those runs you're winning your first match you, you know and i and i know we ryan and i have talked about it like there's really no upsets because i know your seed was 59 first round and the guy was six like but he just played better the first two rounds it's it's match play so i didn't i purposely did not look him up harry bolton is his name right from australia yeah didn't look him up i didn't it didn't i didn't think that was necessary i didn't think it was going to help me in any way i thought it could only hurt me so i didn't i didn't bother looking up who he was or anything like that so you know got there in the morning you know met him in the locker room you know went went on my way i i played very well that that day from start to finish that day i i did I, i hit the ball well i Definitely outside of my norm. I'm not known as a good ball striker. I've always been had a great short game, been a very good putter. I've never been known as a great ball striker. And I just hit the ball well that day. And I'm a little bit annoying to play, I think, in match play as well, because I'm typically not the first one. I'm not the second. I'm always the first one to hit from the fairway because I'm further away. So I'm getting on the green. It may not be super close, but I'm getting on the green. And then I'm normally not the closest to the hole but I'm making a lot of 15 and 20 footers when they've got another 10 footer for birdie. So, or if I miss the green and I'm chipping it to a gimme, they've got to get, give me it. So like, I think I'm historically, you know, I, I won two Billy Deers when I was a junior. I've just always been very annoying to play in match play. 
Um, so I guess that just worked to my advantage, you know, afterwards, you know, I'm glad I didn't know that Harry was, I think he's like the 11th ranked mid amateur in the world. Like I didn't, didn't I wouldn't have liked to know that before I yeah. had, <laughs> I knew who Todd White was Todd White's reputation for sees himself. He was all over our documentation for that event. They did an interview with him, you know, asking him how great it would be to be the first ever, you know, uh, senior and mid amateur champion. Um, he rolled through his first guy and he's out there carrying his bag on his own. He's got his no caddy. He just, he loops it himself. Wow. wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So, you know, he's 55 years old, carrying his own bag, 36 holes in a day. And oh, Jesus. honestly, he's hitting it past me. He was 10 yards past me with his driver too. So now he's out driving me. He's carrying his own bag. I'm like, Jesus, like, I feel like, uh, that's discouraging. How did you, you must've really had to fight hard to get through that mental like hump of like, this guy's out here just, just being a man right now. You know, I had such a great team the whole week. I had, um, Corey Wesco, who's a neighbor and one of my best friends, um, caddied for me last year at Aaron Hills. Um, and then he caddied for me the first two rounds of stroke play. Um, another buddy, Sean Merikakis from my club, he came out and caddied in the first round. Um, then he had to go, go to work. Uh, Brian Whitman, who's my four ball partner, college teammate, one of my best friends, obviously great player in his own right, caddied for me for the Todd White round. And I think that was really helpful for me. He kind of kept me. It was the first time I was playing with somebody who had such a, a name and that was a recognizable. But to have Brian in my ear, you know, saying things that I needed to hear, like, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter who he is. Like, let's just hit the, sh and like the, the, you know, just knowing what to say in the moment was, I think a pretty key for that match. Yeah. And I mean, you started off birdie birdie and you, you know, from what I remember and I was obviously looking at my notes, I mean, you were three, three under through seven holes. So it's, it's, you came out the gate hot, having your buddy on the bag surely helped. And I mean, you ended up winning two up against him two and one more or less. And like, I think at that point, when you beat someone with a, you know, I guess a lot of a resume like like he has, that's got to give you confidence moving into the next day, knowing that like, hey, listen, I can play with these guys and it's match play. Who the hell knows what can happen? You know, what was your thought process after beating him? Uh, to not well, my first thought process was I have to find I have to find a caddy for the next day. <laughs> Again, I didn't plan on being there this long. It's not part of my travel plans. Had no place oh, to my, I got kicked out of the first host hotel because they had no rooms left. The second hotel I went to, they had no rooms left. So now I finally figured out that they let me stay in one of the rooms upstairs in Sleepy Hollow. So I, I had that solved. Then I had to find a caddy. Fortunately, one of my college teammates works with me. Um, and I got him to cancel some meetings. And so Seth Hershorn, he came out and caddied for me in that last round, but not thinking about it, not getting in my head and just knowing that I didn't care who I played the other days, um, just to go out there and remember that I'm playing one of my favorite golf courses in the world and to enjoy that. And that seemed to be working for me all week. Yeah. And I mean, in the round of 16, you know, following and I felt like I, you know, watching all you guys and just like, constantly like refreshing my screen to see like all right was the is the hole over like you got off to a great start against parker there in that in that round was there something that like kind of went the other way 
or was it just him going on a little birdie tirade there? Like, I know once you made the turn, you were two up, you know, and then he does follow that with a birdie on 10, birdie on 11, birdie on 12, birdie on 13. Is that kind of like, I mean, at some point you're just saying like, dude, come on. Yeah. So take the, we start on the back nine. So on our ninth hole on 18, um, you know, I'm, I've got like a five footer for par and, uh, he's in the bunker, uh, hitting his third shot and he hits it up a mound. It comes back in the bunker. So now he's hitting four in a bunker to a short-sided pin 12 feet up. Like this is just an up and down. Nobody makes like, it's not like him making five didn't even register on my radar. And he hits the shot and it hits the rough on the way up, which kills it, gets it over and trickles out. And I have to get, give him a shot. So he made a one in a hundred type of up and down. And then I missed the five footer. So that kind of was like a complete, that was the first time that there was such a swing of emotions of what I thought was going to happen on a whole throughout the entire course of the match play up to that point. Um, I've been playing well and not giving him much room to breathe. Like we were making birdies. Um, I wasn't making very many mistakes. Um, and that was a little difficult to handle, I think. And then, and then he switched caddies at the turn too, actually. His, his father-in-law um, had enough, I think we'll say. And <laughs> put his wife in the bag. And uh, I mean, neither one of them gave any real advice throughout the round. It was just someone carrying their bag. And, uh, and then from that point on, he just decided to birdie five of the next seven holes or whatever it was. So that was, you know, hard to play um, catch up when you're, you know, the guy won't stop making birdies on you. Yeah. Yeah. And then the obvious, I was just going to say, that's a tough break because the, 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 you can feel the momentum switch, you know, like he gets this lucky break. You end up, you know, burning the edge. I'm, I'm sure on a five foot putt there. And it's just like, you can kind of, if you look back and you feel the momentum there, uh, kind of go out of the balloon, so to speak, to mix metaphors? Yeah, no, not not a doubt in my mind. Like it was, again, I tried not to think about it in the moment. You know, when you're in the moment and the momentum's switching, you can't get down on yourself. You have to stay positive. You have to try to make a birdie. So that's going to reverse the momentum and you're hitting good shots. And then the putts just aren't falling. And everything he looks at is going in, you know. Um you know, I made a great up and down on five and thought maybe that would switch things. And then I, I've got an eagle putt again on six and he makes this ridiculous up and down from like this thick rough that you're just not supposed to make. And like at that point, I think that was the point that I was finally like, I think that was when I felt like I got punched in the gut. Like right when I thought I was going to get one back and start making a move, we tied with birdies. And that, that, that one was a tough one to swallow. Yeah, that was his yeah. fifth birdie in six holes, like you said, to start the back nine, <laughs> yeah. which is like sick golf when you think about it. Because I, I look, I was, I think for me, like I was watching that match so closely because I would have loved to see a New Jersey guy take on Stu. And we've been fortunate enough to, to have Stu on and talk to him and kind of hear his story. And, you know, I think that was the one match I was like, God, this could be so good if a New Jersey guy can take this national guy down. And then just still obviously goes on to win the whole damn thing. So, 
you know, listen, I, I did think like that was an unbelievable run for you. But I want to say, I do want to ask you this, because I saw the video that the MGA put out on their Twitter account about a guy like you working on your golf swing. Now, I know what Ryan and I talk about in terms of working on a golf swing because we see each other swing. But a guy of your level and of your ability and your handicap, what what is something that like a guy like you is focusing on or trying to change or just improve at because listen we can show you a lot of bad golf swings and every time i've seen yours it's like i don't know what i'll listen i'll take the bad of his in a heartbeat yeah it's funny i had a stint at the state open so i felt like again i made the cut and i played well but i feel like i did as well as i possibly could have with the swing I was working with. I've always been very good with figuring it out and playing with whatever swing I show up to the golf course with. You know, I'm not one that's going to try to hit every shot perfect. I know what I came with and I'm going to do the best with what what that, you know, affords me on the golf course. And I just felt really bad about my where I was about the kind of shots I was hitting and the inconsistency and in my driving and my irons and everything. And I'm here I am feeling like I'm putting and chipping and short game is so good. I'm like, something's got to change. And, you know, I started to tinker with a couple things and I just made a drastic in my mind, again, from the, you know, the observer, it's probably not drastic, but in my mind, I made a drastic change in my golf swing and I put it in play. Uh, the first time I put it in play was the qualifier for the Met Open and I shot 68. I'm like, all right, you know what? I might, I might have something. And I kept doing it and I used it at the Met Open and um, I kept playing with it and I got to sleepy and the first range session I had on Wednesday, three days before any, before the event started, I walked away from that range session going, that was as good as I've ever hit the golf ball. So, you know, I played around a week or two before that with a buddy of mine and he called me after and he's like, what? what happened? Like, what's the different? Because I know you didn't say anything or you didn't talk about it, but I can tell something is different in the way that you hit the ball today. So I guess the people who have been playing with me a lot have noticed, like if it's a consistency change or a sound change or something, but I've made like a legit change to my golf swing and it seems to be working. So I'm going to keep riding it until it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and when you get a chance, send me that swing thought because maybe I can start to implement some of that. I got to be honest, I've watched about, if you look at my Instagram, uh, you probably think I'm stalking Tommy Fleetwood because his drills and the drills he uses for creating a proper impact position are basically what I've adopted for the last two months. So um, I'm either a really a big fan of his or I'm his secret stalker. So. <laughs> Is, is that a, you, you know, you'll have to see to find out. <laughs> I, I, and I, I have another question because I know I get a lot of questions from people that when they see mid-ams like yourself, and this has come up with Stu and Marcus Stans and other guys that are, you know, Brad Tilly, guys that are in the same kind of, you know, you know, environment or arena that you guys play in. And the question I always get from a lot of listeners is, Mike, can you ask them how they balance their family, how they balance their work life, and they're still able to maintain such a high level of golf? Because it's different for like 
a regular guy like me to go out there and shoot around a 75. Like, okay. But for you guys to do it on a national scene and to be consistent while still like having a job and a family, like how do you balance all that? Did you see I've had two missed calls from my wife in the last, in the last <laughs> So oh, Listen, you can pick them up. No, it's, yeah. You can pick them up. <laughs> it's not easy and you can't do it without their support and without the support of my company. Fortunately, I work for a company that knows, I think, the value in golf in what I do for them and what I do for my clients. And as an insurance agent, you know, golf's a big part of that life as well. Um, my wife brought my kids out and they watched 27 of my 36 uh, stroke play holes at the Mid-Am. So, I, you know, a seven and nine-year-old walking around those golf courses. If you've ever seen Fenway, especially, and Sleepy, they're not easy golf courses to walk. Um, she came out, my wife came out for every match play event and she works full-time too. Um, so I think that they know that there is a some competitive itch, I think for most of us mid-ams that have to be scratched and we're able to realize, and I think that's what maybe both our family and you know work lives like about us is that that competitive itch carries into other things as well, not just golf. Carries into the way that we, you know, think about being a parent or a spouse or you know a workmate, you know, in the office. So um, I don't know. Sometimes it it's not easy. It's <laughs> yeah. No, listen. It's always something that pops up. Yeah, it's always something that pops up because people are always are interested in like, are you practicing a lot? Are you when you get the opportunity, are you gonna go play nine holes? Are you playing eighteen holes? Or are you just kinda like, listen, the day of I'm just gonna go wing it. It's so funny when you're younger and you're in college and you miss a day or you know, you're an assistant pro and you miss a day of hitting balls and you feel like you forgot everything. I think as you start to get older and you you do the working man's championship, which is what the mid-am is, I think you realize that you certainly have more fun in the process. And I think adding the fun in helps you worry less. And by worrying less, you are more accepting of not being perfect every day. And you realize you work with what you've got and you find small ways to make that better. Uh, sometimes I work from home. Sometimes I, again, having a course within close proximity is super helpful I'll go chip and putt for a half an hour around lunchtime in between meetings. Maybe I'm on a call that I don't have to be present, but I just want to make sure that, you know, I get my putting in for that day or something, you know, I'll take the call from the putting green. Um, I think you find ways to make it work because, you know, there's of course a hierarchy of what's most important, but you find a way to kind of make it all happen. Where are you right now? Right now, I'm at my house. I had a work lunch. I got back. I had to tell my boss that I had another call at 3.30, so I had to get off my call with my boss to get on this one. You don't need to lie to us. You got, you're got you in the golf cart with one of those screens behind you that makes it look like you're at the, at the office. You see those commercials. That is super interesting because, as Mike said, we've had a lot of people ask that question, and it's it's rather about the same thing. Everybody's talked about family support, business support, and and having such a great support system. And obviously, you have that if your family's willing to come out with 
you know, your two kids, your wife to come watch you play. That's that's an awesome. Uh, it's got to be an awesome feeling to have and know that they're on your team and, and fully supportive, 100 percent invested. Yeah, no, the family's been great. And even from the work perspective, you know, I'm part of a $500 million company with 3,000 employees. And, you know, after the mid-am completed, they posted on, they put this big post out on social media congratulating me. And, you know, um, it was just a really nice written post on LinkedIn, on their Twitter and Facebook, on all their platforms. So to see that they support me in this, in this journey too was... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that makes it all, all worth the while really, you know, at the end of the day. Um, so Jay, I always like to ask a couple questions here at the end regarding like golf courses specifically. And I know here golfing in the garden state is, is our thing. And if you could give the audience a public golf course that if they have the opportunity or they could have some time to go check it out that you would recommend, along with a private one, that if they got invited somewhere, that they need to kind of drop what they're doing and go. And we always say we you, you can't count your home course, and you can't count Pine Valley because those types of opportunities don't really come around. Do you have any? So, um, again, I, I have a special place in my heart for Nishanik. It's a good golf course. Um, played well in the AM when it was there. I used it as my home course before I joined Raritan. And Fred Glass over there was always very generous with me as well. Um, I've known him for 20 years. So I think as far as public golf courses go, I mean, look, they held the U.S. Women's Public Links at the place. It's it's as good of a golf course in the state of New Jersey from a public standpoint as you can get. Now, do I love doing trips to Beth Page? Absolutely. And I'd recommend <laughs> parking lot, sleeping, outing anytime. And what about a private spot? If someone gets invited to go somewhere, where are they going? I think I, they got to drop what they're doing. I think I have two that, you know, sometimes are obvious and sometimes aren't, but Mount, Mountain Ridge is always really high on my list. The, Changes that have been made there and the conditioning of that golf course is just second to none. It's incredible. Um, and then my other one would be Hollywood. I think Hollywood doesn't get enough recognition and it's such a fun golf course to play. And the way they've taken it back in time and everything is is pretty incredible. So I think those are two of, of the ones that I always have in my you know, top five in the state of New Jersey. There you go, Rye Hollywood, buddy. Those are two good ones. So, Jason, we the other you know kind of couple ending questions here that I like to ask. Uh, the first one is, as as golfers, I think we're naturally superstitious and naturally uh, have some more quirks than than uh, maybe we like to lead on. What are some quirks that you have when you're getting into a tournament? You know, something competitive, maybe something that's different from when you know you just go tee it up with your buddies. But what are things that you that you need to have in order to in order to feel balanced, let's say, in your in your golf game. I try to keep it simple. I really do. I try to keep my social golf and my competition golf, maybe aside from drinking a beer, pretty similar. Um, I don't think I carry a yardage book in my back pocket, but everything else I do, 
from my pre-shot routines to the club selections to the shot types, I think that's why I don't need to maybe practice as much as, you know, I think as a mid-am, I think I've learned that if I can keep these things kind of consistent, that it doesn't feel that different getting into competition. People are always ask me like, oh, you don't get nervous when you get into competition. And I said, I treat every golf shot the same, whether I'm in competition or not. So I think that helps me get to the right state of mind. Um, the only quirks I have, and people always kind of look at me side-eyed, is maybe what golf clubs I hit on the range. I only hit odd clubs on odd days and even clubs on even days. But that's... Oh. I like that's a quirk. That's a, that's that's a quirk, a quirk, right? So, like, some people have <laughs> yeah. said, like, I need, I need, you know, two big tees and one small tee in my pot, my left pocket, my right pocket has another golf, like, whatever, it, whatever it is. But that's a good one. That's a Mike. That's one Did of the you, better ones we've had. He he tried playing that off like it wasn't a quirk, like, oh, no big deal, like, you know, that's that's a big deal. I don't. We've never heard that one no. from guests, and we've talked to a lot of people. No one's ever said that one, so we're not letting you get away with that. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the other, the other question we, we end with here. So we're a, a New Jersey podcast, you know, talking golf, obviously in New Jersey, but, but New Jersey, nonetheless, Mike and I, two born raised New Jersey guys. And there's a great debate in the state of New Jersey over a particular kind of breakfast meat and the name of that breakfast meat. What are you calling that breakfast meat? Yeah, you see... I have a team that both divides South and North Jersey, and I'm not even going to say the M word, which is, or C word, which is Central Jersey. That's like a, this <laughs> word. Um, I've always called it a pork roll, egg, and cheese when I order it. There we go. Okay. We knew this was a good one. You know, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll catch some crap for that one. Um, <laughs> but no, that's. <laughs> Where I've always fallen in that argument. Hey, you got to lean into that. If that's what you call it, that's what you call it. Like that, that's <laughs> lean into that. Someone's going to give you a hard time. You, you got, tell them to come see me. All right. I'm six, five <clears throat> pounds. They can come, they can come talk to me if they want to. And I'll, I'll, I got your back. You know, it's funny. I moved down to Georgia for a few months um, when I was first got into insurance and I, and I walked into a supermarket and I asked, um, you know, if they had any pork roll and they looked at me like I was crazy. And then I said, you know, Taylor ham. And, uh, they looked at me like I was even crazier. And they said, wait, you mean the cheese? And I go, I'm sorry, what? And they brought me over to the cheese section. And in the cheese, they had the Taylor ham, like small package hanging in the cheese. And they go, oh, we never really knew what th this was. We just throw it out every, every week. <laughs> and I said, that's absolutely amazing. I said, I'll take that. It's not expired. I'll take that. <laughs> that's that's incredible. Well, we didn't know. So we <laughs> there you go. I love that. Oh, that's good. But listen, Jay, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. You know, obviously, you know, your run throughout the summer and, and kind of what you've done is 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 remarkable. And you know, you, I know you got two huge fans here and, and Ryan and myself. Absolutely. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was fun. And like I said, I love what you're doing for golf in Jersey. So any way I can ever help or support, don't hesitate to ask. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure meeting you. Yeah. Thanks for talking. We'll be in touch. Yeah, we'll be in guys. touch.